if you need to move around, please do. I'm going to keep saying it because I can see, see, I'm not going to say I can smell some sweaty people, but I can see some people who are getting rather toasty this evening. So um, please feel free um, to move around. Just before I get started, well, um, a few people, great to have Sophie back with us. Sophie's here now, so Sophie's starting. Uh, I was going to say day one tomorrow, but really it's day one a couple of weeks ago, and then we've started in a funny way, but great to have Sophie with us. And um, well done to, um, where's Barry Grief? Barry Grief. And Andrew, um, Annie, he's not here, but Andrew and Annie, half marathon this morning, and you're here tonight. Um, Tim has cycled the length of France in the last few weeks, so well done, Tim. It's fantastic. All of you are on amazing adventures. Um, maybe we should start Shiloh is Epic, don't you think? So that this is epic, Shiloh is Epic, and keep challenging ourselves to do things that are kind of out the box would be really good. Um, I, um, we played a game this morning with the children, and, you know, guess which one's the lie, and they guessed straight away that my lie was I had ever swum from Guernsey to Herm. They guessed that straight away. I need to do more epic things in my life, I think, to challenge myself. Well, what a week it's been. I don't know what your week has been like, but mine has been bizarre, okay? That's the only way I can describe it. What a strange week it has been. Um, every single day I've started doing something, and every single day it's been turned upside down, and I've done something completely different to what I thought the day was going to look at. Like, it has been the strangest week ever. And I guess I'm not surprised after saying last Sunday, Vision Sunday, that this was going to be the year of prayer, that we've had a whole topsy-turvy, upside-down, bizarre week. And I'm assured that God is at work. God is at work in people's lives here together and individually, and it's very exciting. And I want to have a look at a passage tonight. Um, and I believe it's a really important one because it appears in all four of the Gospels. And I kind of always think that when something's repeated, it means that God wants us to get to know it and understand it. And it is important. You know, he knows that we, um, you know, need a bit of reminding and need it to go in several times. So I think this has, really has some kind of significance this evening. I'd like us to look at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Okay, tonight, the feeding of the 5,000. And alongside the resurrection, it's one of the only accounts that appears, actually, in all four of the Gospels. It's told in four different ways. Um, tonight, I want to look at it in John's Gospel. So if you've got your Bibles, if you've got your mobile phones, if you've got an app or something with you, you might want to look it up in John chapter 6. If you take notes, okay, it'd be great to write this down. Remember, I'm going to keep banging on about how the importance of taking notes, how important it is, because it helps to sink into our minds. But also, God gives us words in season and out of season, and sometimes a word that you might walk away from this evening and think, actually, that's not for me, or didn't mean much to me. You might look back in, I don't know, a few weeks' time, and God is preparing your heart to hear this message. So take notes. It's really good. I love to go back over my teenage notes, you know. Um, I've got lots of notes. I was the best at writing notes when I was a teenager. And I love to go back and look at my notes of my Bible teachings back then. Goodness me, some things have changed, thank goodness. Um, but some things are really relevant, and I love looking back and seeing what God was speaking to me. Um, in my teenage years. So we're going to have a look at John chapter 6. You will notice I'm reading a large print Bible because I need prayer for my eyes. Um, but John chapter 6, okay, Jesus feeds um, the 5,000. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him 
because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only as a test, only to test him, for what he already had in mind, he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have just one bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a small boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they'd all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, this evening, I'm going to base on that passage, um, but I will also kind of jump around from the other accounts, take a few little details from other accounts and the other Gospels, too. One of the greatest known miracles, I think, the feeding of the 5,000. If I'd said to you, uh, what's one of your favourite miracles, you want, some of you, I'm sure, would say the feeding of the 5,000. We know this isn't quite right, okay? It's not really the feeding of the 5,000, um, because there would have been a lot more people. It would have been the women and the children there too. Now, when they counted to see how many people were there, they would have counted the head of households. So there was 5,000 households there, okay? So there were men, women, and children on top of that. And many people believe, who've written um, commentaries on this, that it could have been upward of 20,000 people who were there. That's a lot of people gathered around Jesus at that time. And we know there were families. We know there were families because this miracle is all focused around one little boy. It happens around one little boy. So there must have been children and families and women there. A little boy who comes up with his lunch. So we're going to think about the feeding of the 20,000, okay? 20,000 people that Jesus fed that day. And it's a whole illustration. This whole miracle is an illustration of what happens a little bit later in John chapter 6, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This is to show that he is the bread of life. He is the one who can meet the greatest need of the human heart. All of us are hungry for something. Every single one of us have a hunger for something. You and I have a hunger deep inside our bellies. We spend our entire lives trying to fill our tummies, try to, trying to um, get rid of that hunger, as you like. We look to our careers. Sometimes we think if we're successful in our career, if we make it in our job, then we will be happy and we'll be satisfied. If we had a bit more money, 
You know, if we had a little bit more money, then I'd be able to do that thing. Then I would be truly satisfied. If I was in that relationship, then I would be truly satisfied. These things are, do you know what, they're like a little bit of a sugar rush, okay? It's like, you know, like if you get a bit of sugar and you have that little bit of a pet pie, it's like, ooh, this feels great. And it lasts for a moment, okay? But it doesn't last forever. The Bible tells us that there is lots of pleasure and good feeling in sin. (laughs) It feels great, okay? That's why it's so hard, because it feels great, but it's only for a season. And when we look to idols, and I'm not talking about maybe you've got a little, I don't know, statue in the corner of your bedroom. That's not what I'm talking about when I speak about an idol. It might, an idol to you might look like the Apple logo. It might look like the number of followers that you have um, on your social media. It might look like how much money there is in your bank account. We all have idols of different kinds. We have things that we look to at times that give us that hit of satisfaction. You know, like, oh, that photo I put up, it got 15 likes rather than, I don't know, four likes. You know, we have those little things that give us that hit of satisfaction. Jesus says, I alone, I alone, only me, only me, Only I can bring true satisfaction. Only I can bring meaning. Only I can give you life after death. Only I can give you forgiveness for your sin because of what I've done and what I'm going to do on the cross. We can have forgiveness. The ultimate meaning of the feeding of the 5,000 is that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the only one who can satisfy that deep hunger, that deep need within yourself. But as we look at this passage, there's lots of other things that I want to take out, very practical things that I want to take out. So that's the underlying theme tonight, that Jesus is the bread of life. He he is the only one who will ever satisfy that longing that is deep within your heart. Only Jesus can do that. But I want to pull out some other things that we can take note of and apply to our lives. And my prayer is this evening, and I was speaking to Jordan about this this afternoon, my prayer is, is that we would find something fresh in this passage for all of us, because it's something that we all know so well. You know, you've probably come in and thought, I've heard this at Sunday school, I've heard this um, preached on a hundred times, I know this passage, so don't switch off. Okay, don't switch off and think I know this passage, okay, because um, my prayer was that we wouldn't be robbed of the freshness that God has for us tonight by familiarity with a passage. We wouldn't think I know this, but we haven't heard it today, and God has new things for you every single day. He wants to bless us. So my prayer is that we would find something really fresh in here tonight. And it's really based on the week that we've had and seeing things throughout the week that I really feel that God is stirring up. So firstly, in this story, we find a problem. It's a problem that can't be solved. There are 20,000 people that need to be fed. Even Nicky Lloyd couldn't do that, okay? She can do well, but 20,000 might be a bit of a push. It can't be solved. Thousands of people come to Jesus hungry, physically hungry. They have a hunger deep inside their tummy and um, they need something to eat. So Jesus says to his disciples, give them something to eat. 
Okay? In fact, he doesn't just ask the disciples, he singles one out. He singles out Philip. And he says to Philip, can you find them something to eat? Buy all these people some food so that they can have their hunger satisfied. He says that to Philip. Now, why did he say that to Philip? Um, it's kind of interesting that he chose Philip. Well, this was Philip's hometown. You know where you grow up, you say, that was my stomping ground, don't you? That was my stomping ground. That's the area that I knew. This was Philip's stomping ground. He was from Bethsaida, and it was like he knew everything that was in the area. Do you know like that person that you say, I'm going on holiday to, I don't know, Crete, okay? Um, Crete, honeymoon soon. Um, I'm going on holiday to Crete, and um, someone says, oh, I've been to Crete. Where are you going? And you say... You don't know. <laughs> Matt. Um, you, go, you say, I'm going here in Crete, okay? And um, they say, oh, yeah, 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 you must go to here and you must go to there and you need to go to this place because it's amazing here and it's amazing there. And they know all about it. And they say, you don't want to try that restaurant because that restaurant's full of tourists. You want to go to this one down the road because it's where the locals really go and that's where you'll get the real culture. And suddenly they become like this walking tourist information office of things that kind of like they splurge at you about the place that they are going. And I imagine Philip was strutting his stuff a bit. Do you know what I mean? Oh, this is where I did this, and this is that, and I know over here. Come over here. This is the best bit of grass to sit on, and this is the best view, and this is the best place to be. And he was doing that. And so can you imagine? I kind of like to think Jesus had a little twinkle in his eye when he said to Philip, oh, Philip, you know, you know the area so well. You know, you know it really well. Why don't you go and get all these people some food? You must know where the best supermarket is or the best place to go or the best um, restaurant is. And I love this picture. And I kind of think that Philip must have almost had a seizure on the spot. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't know. Oh, Jesus, I don't know. I don't know. There can't be a restaurant that's big enough for everybody. And I couldn't get outside catering. And I can't do this. And I can't go to the supermarket at this time. And then we haven't got enough money. And he would have been like flapping and flapping and flapping. He says, even 200, even if we had 200 denarii, even if we had this huge sum of money, we couldn't feed everyone that was here. We couldn't feed 20,000 people. And listen, Jesus knew this. He knew this all along. Because it says, it says in verse 6, Jesus said this to test him. He was testing him. He knew that Philip couldn't do it. He had no intention of the disciples picking up their bags for life and heading off down to the supermarket. He knew. He knew that they couldn't do it. He knew that it was an impossible question. There was no point in his mind where he thought they are going to go and be able to come back with food for this many people. He knew it wasn't going to happen. Yet he went through this exercise of asking Philip, how can we feed these people? He was asking him something that actually he knew that he was never going to do. So why would he do that? Why would he do that? You know, one of the things that I look through the Bible and I realize is that sometimes the greatest miracles happen after some of God's strangest behavior. There are things that just don't make sense and we just don't understand. And then miracles happen. It's strange. It's a bit odd. Why would Jesus ask him that? Why would Jesus ask him a question that he didn't want him to answer or to go and do? 
And to put simply, it's because God is different to us. God's ways are different to our ways. His ways are not our ways. So how does this apply to you and I? You know, whenever we see God doing something strange, we should start to think something's going to happen. Something's happening. Something is beginning to stir. Whenever we come up against something that we don't have an answer for, whenever we think, why is God letting it happen that way? Then we can really believe that God is getting us ready for something. Something is coming. Some miracle is going to happen. When God is doing something that we don't understand, maybe, like Philip, it's a test of us. It's a test. And we're going to see a greater miracle. God doesn't intend Philip to do that, but he uses it to develop him and to grow him. So when you're going something weird and hard, just remember, maybe God's testing me. Maybe this is a test to develop me, to help me to grow, help me to lean into God more, help me to put my faith in God more. Maybe it's a test and a challenge for me. A faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. Okay, we need to have our faith tested sometimes to grow in our journey with God. So simply put, let God be God. Let's not try and rationalize in our human mind what God is doing. Let's allow God to be God and see what happens. Secondly, the story moves on and we see a heart of compassion. We see a problem that can't be solved. It seems impossible, but it's followed by a heart of compassion. Compassion is in Jesus' heart. He cared for these people. He saw these 20,000 and he really, really cared for them. He cared for them because he, had a, he knew they had a need. He knew that they had this physical need of hunger, but he knew much more that they had a spiritual need, that they had a spiritual hunger inside of them. So often Jesus said when he saw the crowds that they were like sheep without a shepherd. They needed to hear, they needed to hear the good news of Jesus. He cared so much for their souls. John doesn't highlight it that much in this passage, but this meal came with a message. The other Gospels tell us. He gave them like a Bible study. He talked to them. He spoke to the people. He fed them. And he told them the stories of the Old Testament. He used illustrations of their day so that they could relate to him. He was really, really relatable. That's what I love about Jesus. Common people like you and I. Sorry, you're common people. You and I. Not highly religious, pompous people. All, you know, unreachable. Just sat with them. And he spoke to them. And he used everyday language. He used their language. He used illustrations. And he had compassion of them. And he met. He knew that their spiritual need was so much more important than simply meeting their physical need. And that's why it's so important that as a church, we do that too. We meet physical and um, spiritual needs. It's so important. So there's an unlikely solution, an, an unlikely problem. And now there is an unlikely solution, okay? A solution that happens that they couldn't foresee. And the solution is when Philip says, we don't have any money, what are we going to do? What are we going to do in this situation? We don't have it, we haven't got the food, 
And Jesus says, well, what do you have? What do you have? And then in comes Andrew. And I love Andrew. We need more Andrews in the church, not literally, but we need more Andrews in the church, okay? And we need to pray for Andrews because every time we see Andrew in the Bible, he's bringing someone to Jesus. And we need more inviters, people who are willing to invite people to come to Jesus. And Andrew brings the little boy to Jesus and he says, here's a little boy. He's got five small barley loaves, the poorest of the poor. Barley loaves were from the poorest families. And two little fish, probably sardines. Not a massive whopping great trout out the river. He probably had two little piddly sardines, okay? Just two little sardines. Just something for him to munch on as he went off on the day. I think the hero in this story is whoever packed that lunch. Maybe a mum, dad, grandma, someone, a carer, someone who looked after him. Who packed that lunch? They did something really insignificant in secret, in quiet. Little did they know that that little act of kindness was going to be placed in the hands of Jesus and perform the greatest miracle that we are still talking about today. The little things we do in quiet, we never know the effect that they have on others Be encouraged. The little things that you do are noticed by God. The unlikely solution is that God would use something so small, something so tiny. A simple act of obedience can do something so great. How many loaves do you have? How many fish do you have? You see, our human nature would help us to focus on everything that we don't have. So often we look around and we say, no, I don't have that. I don't have as much time as others. I don't have as much finances as others. I don't have the gifts that others have or the talents that others have. God has very little concern for what you don't have. He has a lot of concern about what you do have and what we do with that. If we have one talent, he's not expecting us to do what someone with 10 talents has, what they can do. He simply wants you to use that one and allow it to multiply, to see it multiply, to bring your fish and your loaves for the glory of God, to bring them to God. You know, if you haven't started giving yet, I'd encourage you, don't wait till you're rich to give, okay? Financial giving, you give to God and he multiplies. That's what happens. It's the mystery of it all. Give to God. Just use your five loaves and two fish, what you have, and place it in God's hands and see what he will do with it. Next in this story, you'll notice a heart of gratitude, You'll notice in the Bible that before the food, before the bread was handed out to the people, Jesus blessed it and he broke it. I want you to use your imagination for a moment. Imagine 20,000 people, 20,000 people, a third-ish of Guernsey, 12 disciples and one son of God just holding that bread in his hands received from that little boy. That little boy just giving that little gift and he's given everything that he has and it's placed into the hands 
of Jesus. It's broken and it's blessed. And the blessing involved thanksgiving. It was a prayer of thanksgiving, a gratitude that went right through the middle of that prayer. He thanked God for the food that they were about to eat. And in his prayer, he said to his father, thank you. But do you know what the most fascinating thing in this story is? Jesus was giving thanks to God, knowing that there was never enough in his hands. He still gave thanks to God, even though there wasn't enough. Jesus still gave thanks. He's holding in his hands what is not enough for this situation. Philip reminded him of that. The Bible says Andrew reminded him of that. Can you imagine how annoying that must be in your ear? There's not enough food there, you know. But Jesus still gave thanks. They didn't have enough money to go and buy the food that's needed. And yet holding not enough and having not enough, Jesus gave thanks. He still gave thanks and he still chose gratitude. And that's what God asks us to do too. That's his will for you and for me, to have a heart of gratitude. Thessalonians 5 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We, you know, ask often, what is God's will for me? It says it here. It says here, if you don't know what God's will is, have a heart of gratitude. Give thanks. Give thanks to God for all that you have. I love that Paul didn't say, uh, give thanks for everything you have. Matt reminded us this morning of that in the 9.30 prayer meeting. He said, we can't give thanks for the things going on in the world. We can't give thanks for the things that happen to us, for illness, for losing jobs, for not having enough. We can't give thanks for those things, but we can give thanks in those things. We can still give thanks in everything In this story, Jesus models that so beautifully for us. In their lack of provision, he still gives thanks. He still has a heart of gratitude. God, I don't understand. I don't have enough. It's not going to work. I can't see any way out, yet I still choose to give thanks because I trust you, God. I trust you, God. I thank you that you're my provider. Even though I'm unwell, I thank you that I trust that you're my healer. I thank you, God, with a heart of gratitude. You know, if we only trust God when we fully understand what's going on, then we actually don't need God at all because faith begins where we come to the end of ourselves and the end of our earthly resources. And so Jesus is showing us what to do. You know, maybe you're holding in your hands your children and you're saying, saying God, I'm doing my best. I'm trying to parent the best I possibly can, but I'm really struggling here, God. I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. Maybe you're saying, I don't know where my next mortgage payment's coming from, but God, I'm holding them in my hands. I'm giving you thanks. I'm going to give you thanks because you can be my support. You can be my strength. You are my provider. I'm holding those things in my hand. Even though I know I don't have enough, I'm going to choose to thank you. And do you know what? It's like defiance. That's like when we say we're in a battle. That's how we battle. Because to give thanks in the middle of a storm, it's like a defiant thing. We're giving thanks even when it's difficult. It's out of a heart of gratitude. Jesus gave thanks 
and broke the bread. And I love that we have in Jesus' hands something that has been broken. Something that has been broken. Because do you know what? And I'm going to say this because I really believe that this is something that's come out of this week. That when there's brokenness, the blessing can flow. That when brokenness happens, the blessing can flow. And I really believe that too. Remember, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who grieve. Blessed are those who's persecuted. What's the point in God's hands? Blessing and brokenness, they go together. They go together. So if you're feeling in your heart that there's real brokenness, if you feel that your life is broken, if you feel like your feelings have been hurt and there's so much brokenness and there's so much pain, if you feel like you've been abandoned, if you feel like people have given up on you, if you feel no good, if there's brokenness in your life, then trust God that the blessing's coming. The blessing is coming. God wants to bless you because pain can lead to power when we press into God. If we choose not to let the pain draw us away from God, then it can lead us to press into God where the blessing can flow. Blessing can flow from brokenness. And if you're feeling broken tonight, then we want to pray with you at the end. There'll be an opportunity for us to pray that that blessing will flow from that place of brokenness. Next in this story, there's multiplication. I love the detail that John gives, that Jesus didn't hand out the food, but he gave it to his disciples to hand out. Jesus knew what it was to be a good leader and how to model um, and how to kind of enable others to do what he was doing. He could have thrown out the bread. He could have given it out, but he decided to give it to his disciples to give out. So I want to ask you a question, especially if you're in leadership. Who are you raising up? Who are you raising up who has the, you know, you have some, the ability to do something and who are you training to do that? You know, because it could have been just one person doing it, but now it's 12 people doing it. So we need to be training up, equipping, releasing and multiplying. A question I'm always asking myself is my children have grown up now relatively, but I'm now thinking, close your ears, who's going to be training and leading and, and plowing into my grandchildren's life? Who's the next lot? Who are the next lot going to be leading in the children's ministry when my grandchildren are running around? Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? You know, that's the mentality of multiplication, of training and equipping and leading and letting others do it. You don't have to do it all yourself. That's multiplication. And next, and we're nearly there, finally, and Simon reminded us of this morning again in the prayer meeting, it's an all-you-can-eat celebration. It's an all-you-can-eat celebration. Because once Jesus passes the bread to the disciples, he blessed it, broke it, handed it out. And then he said words which we all love to hear. Eat as much as you like. Okay, go ahead. 
eat as much as you like. Take as much as you like. Now, if any of you have been to St. Pierre Park on a Sunday lunch, you'll go been to their all-you-can-eat carvery, you know. And, it, and Joel's nodding at me. It's good, eh? And you go there, and you see the desserts, and there's, like, this big chocolate fondue fountain and loads of desserts, okay? And you think, I'm going to really steady myself at the carvery. Um, but you can go back as much as you like, you know? And then you think, I'll save myself a dessert, and then you just... Like, Martin almost has to roll me out, okay? Because, you know, like, you've just eaten so much and you never make it to dessert because you've just eaten too much of the main in course. This is an all-you-can-eat occasion. Charles Spurgeon said this, This is one of the rules of Christ's feasting. As much as they wanted, according to your appetite, according to your will, according to your faith, so be it unto you. You know, we can have as little or as much as we want of God's word. We can have it on a Sunday and that's it. Thank you very much and go. Or we can feast on it all throughout the week, starting our day, helping um, us to have direction in life as we follow God's word. It's up to us. Some people ate a little and probably went away and had their tea. Others ate so much they walked away with really full tummies. You know, it's up to us. How is your spiritual appetite? Often people say, oh, my prayers don't get answered. And then we say, well, did you pray at all? You know, because the Bible says, um, you have not because you ask not. But ask and the door will be open to you. Now, it doesn't mean that God, we always get the answers straight away. But sometimes we actually, when we think about it, actually, have I prayed about it? Have I spent time in God's word? It's up to us. It's an all-you-can-eat celebration. How much do you want of God's word? Finally... When the story ends and the dust settles, there's this massive excess of provision. There's food everywhere, okay? It looks like a Friday night after youth club on the floor, okay? There's food, there's crumbs. Joking, I'm joking. Uh, You're very good, you're clearing up. There's food, there's crumbs, there's bits of bread everywhere, okay? Um, And the masses are happy, they're full up, they've gone away. There's Jesus and his disciples left. um, And Jesus says to them, make sure everything is picked up. Don't leave anything. Pick up all that is left. Don't let anything be wasted. Now, this is, in my brain, miracle food, okay? This is food that has come as a miracle. You know, in my logic, if they'd needed more, Jesus could have asked for more, maybe more would have come. But he said, no, don't let anything be wasted. God cares about what we do with the provision that he's given us. He cares about good stewardship, So he says, I want you to go and load up all those baskets. Notice that there are 12 baskets full left over, one for each disciple, okay? And in the Greek, those baskets are described as backpacks. I love that. So they were baskets that went on their backs, okay? So they filled up the bread, and they put them on their back. And Jesus sends them off down the hill. I imagine them. Can you imagine them all walking down with their basket full of bread? Okay. And they go down to the shore and they're about to get into the boat. Now, remember what I said? Jesus is up to something else. Okay. He's weird again. Okay. He's sending them off on the boat and there's about to be a storm. Okay. He's up to something again. He sends them off and they each have their little um, basket full of bread. But can you think that in that storm, I like to think that each of them had a basket of bread in that boat, a sign of God's faithfulness, 
a sign of remembering what God has done in the past. I didn't let you down then. Why am I going to let you down now? I've got a, you've got a sign of my faithfulness to you. A little basket in the, in the boat. The excess of the provision speaks a very, very important lesson to each of us. If we look at the whole Bible, when Jesus' ministry on this day was done, there was leftovers. And he said, collect that bread, you know, and it'll be fine tomorrow. You can eat it through the week. It'll be there for you. What's the point? Jesus is actually saying here that he is greater than Moses. If we go back to the Old Testament. Now think about for a moment how that would have sat with the Jews. Moses could do no wrong. They would be thinking, are you actually saying that you are greater than Moses? Is that what you're saying? Do you think that you are greater than Moses who walked face to face with God? Jesus is saying, in my miracle here, I've created food that will last, that will last you for the week. It won't spoil. A little later in John chapter 6, we read again that Moses, do you remember the bread came from heaven, the manna, but they could only eat it on that day because if they kept the bread in baskets, worms would come, it would get moldy and it would rot, okay? And then they'd have to have new bread the next day. Jesus was saying, I am greater than Moses. I give you food that is still going to be good tomorrow, What is the importance of that? You see, we could speak about the laws and the Ten Commandments, Moses the great lawgiver, and we could hear it and we could say, that's really great. I'm going to follow all the laws and I'm going to be really moral and keep all those laws and I'm going to do it and be excited about it on Sunday. And then I could almost guarantee that you could wake up on Tuesday morning and say, flip, law number four. I broke it. I've done it. I've broken it. You know, and the more and more we try, we will never keep it all. But when you follow Jesus, it's a personal relationship. It's a personal relationship. And that doesn't only feel good on a Sunday. It feels good on a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday and a Friday night when you're out. Because the law came through Moses. Moses was the lawgiver. Jesus was the life giver. Grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came from Jesus. And that's seven days a week. And that food and that bread, it still tastes good all throughout the week. Because it's not about a righteousness that we earn. It's about a free gift that we receive. Jesus has that free gift for each one of us. We can walk with God day by day, knowing that Jesus has made that relationship perfect for each one of us. So tonight, what am I saying? Firstly, we're in training. Some of us need an obstacle course sometimes to keep us fit. Okay, sometimes we need an obstacle. Someone once gave me a picture of an obstacle course and they said to me, you have to get over each obstacle before... You're going to kind of be on the right track. And every time I get something, I think, oh, there's another hurdle to jump. Sometimes we need an obstacle course. If it's weird, remember God's doing something. I'm in training. 
Try to remember that God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. God knows the end from the beginning. So what you're struggling in now, he's seeing the end already. He's seen it already. And he's never failed. Why would he start with you? Why would he start with you? God has never failed. And I want to pray this evening, believing that God has an all-you-can-eat feast before us tonight. He has a feast, and it's up to us. It's our decision. It's our choice how much or little we want to take of God's word or take of God's truth tonight. That's up to us. And I want to pray. I think there's some of us who are really broken, are really broken, and we want to pray that the blessing is on its way. For some of us, we just know that God's up to something and we want to be a part of it. And for others of us, I think we need that relationship with Jesus. We need to realize that I don't need to earn it. I just need to receive it.